With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Today, I have a special surprise. The Metropolitan Opera in New York is running a new production of Philip Glass's 1983 opera, Akhenaten. In a surprising bit of coincidence, the opera is running from November 8th to December 7th, and it just so happens to coincide with our exploration of Akhenaten and his wonderful reign. The production is led by Philippe McDermott, a well-respected stage director who has previously produced this opera in 2016 for the English National Opera. He has also led productions of Aida by Giuseppe Verde, Cosi Fan Tutti by Mozart, A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare, and The Addams Family Musical. Needless to say, Mr. McDermott is well equipped to present this opera, and as you will hear from the cast, his directions have been invaluable in bringing Akhenaten to life. The opera is conducted by Karen Kamensek, who also conducted it in 2017, for which she won the Laurence Olivier Award for Best New Opera Production. The 2019 Met Opera season of Akhenaten promises to be a spectacular show, with virtuoso performances and costumes to die for. Notably, the production is running from November 8th to December 7th in New York, and if you can't make it to New York to see the performance in person, there will be cinema screenings of the opera recorded live in the forthcoming months. Now, as part of the preparations for the opera's debut, I was contacted by one of the performers, Zachary James, who plays Amunhotep III and the scribal narrator of the events. With Zachary's help and the generous support of the team at the Metropolitan Opera, we were able to arrange a roundtable interview with the four stars of this production. I'm pleased to present a discussion with Anthony Roth Costanzo, who plays Akhenaten, Janae Bridges, who plays Nefertiti, Dísela Larosdotter, who plays Queen T, and Zachary, who plays Amunhotep III. Over the next hour or so, you will hear the performers break down their roles and discuss what makes Philip Glass's opera such a fascinating portrayal of this ancient and mysterious ruler. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Anthony Roth Costanzo, Janae Bridges, Dísela Larostota, and Zachary James, the star players of Akhenaten, a Met Opera production led by Philippe McDermott. My first guest is Anthony Roth Costanzo, who plays Akhenaten. Anthony Akhenaten, welcome to the History of Egypt podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to see the show when it's broadcast live, and I look forward to your performance. Um, first up, uh, you is this your first time playing Akhenaten, or did you do the previous runs as well? This is my fourth time, in fact. So we've done three rounds of this production, and each time I feel I've gotten deeper into both the history and my own interpretation of it. Excellent. I think I saw some uh, YouTube clips of your performance in London, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm excited to see the full show. Um, so, Anthony, you're pretty familiar with musical Akhenaten now, or shall we say opera Akhenaten. In the, in the opera specifically, not in history, who is your character musically, and what characteristics does he bring onto the stage? I think musically, Akhenaten is someone who's trying to convey his very visionary beliefs, um, beliefs that we ascribe as monotheism, um, that he perhaps invented, uh, and he wants mm -hmm. to change the fabric of society and the way people think. Um, and so the music is at times forceful and at times lyrical, depending on how he wants to convey these different ideas. Okay. Um, how, out of curiosity, how would he convey something like 
forcefulness through just his stage presence, perhaps. So there's a scene in which um, he destroys the old order, and it's called the temple scene, and he goes into this temple and he destroys the old religion. And what Philip Glass does is write very percussively for the voice in a way which is almost mm. impossible to sing. So we have to sing these repeated notes <laughs> like, ha, 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 ha. And I see it almost as throwing little daggers or, you know, waging war with our voices. And it feels like that. It feels <laughs> physical and strenuous. And it feels like we're running a marathon or something like that. So by the end of it, it feels that we've fought a battle, in fact. So Philip Glass uses endurance, uses the repetition which is characteristic of his minimalism, to really convey everything uh, in different ways. And the rhythm is key. You know, Philip Glass was inspired by Eastern music and Eastern rhythms. And so he uses um, different speeds and different rhythms within those speeds to convey different emotions. Okay. So I imagine after a, after a scene like that, you kind of come off the stage sort of drenched in sweat and wondering what you're doing. <laughs> Depending on how well it goes, um, hopefully we keep in our minds what what we're doing. But um, it, it can be very disorienting, and you have to be really focused, and there's no way to learn it other than to repeat it as you would repeat a prayer mm. or, uh, you know, rehearse something over and over. And it took me four months to learn this one scene and to remember exactly how it went. It's very challenging. Wow. So... For the for the non-musically literate like myself and my some of my audience, what kind does Akhenaten go through any sort of vocal or musical evolution through the performance or the the runtime of the opera? Uh, interesting question. I think that Akhenaten is written for a countertenor, which is this male who sings in a female register. So if I were to sing a note, I would sound like a woman, um, mm. and you'd be surprised. Uh, and so um, Philip Glass thought about writing it for a countertenor because he wanted to represent the ways in which Akhenaten was other and individual mm -hmm. and different. But also contained within that is both the masculine and feminine. And so if Akhenaten, in fact, saw God as the unification of man and woman rather than one gender, this voice kind of perfectly embodies his ideal. And uh, as the piece goes on, I feel um, the progression is that the vocalism kind of softens and it gets a little more um, sensual and perhaps you could even say feminine um, in, the, in the way that it's shaped. And so it represents, to me, Akhenaten's progression from a 17-year-old boy who takes the throne to these depictions we see of him in statues and in Stella where you can see feminine attributes like breasts and hips and large lips. So we have the progression from male to female, and that's represented in the music. Okay. That's, that's a really good answer. I like that. That's very consistent with some of the interpretations that Egyptologists are currently approaching although they, they take some more other angles as well. Um, to go back slightly to the music, just for my second question, so what does Philip Glass's music, not just the Akhenaten performance, but sort of the music around him as well, what does that tell you about his character and his motivations specifically? You know, there's this moment in Act 3 where he dies. And of course, we don't know how Akhenaten died, and there's no way for us so far to know. And so Spoilers. what's amazing, uh, yeah, right. And so what's amazing about opera and art in general is it gives us a lens through which to look at history and human emotions. So in the moment in the opera in which he dies, you have these arpeggios, which are chords broken up, and they're going really fast, like atoms in the air swirling around us with different instruments in the orchestra, playing different versions of those scales. And it's a very exhilarating, thrilling experience. And then it might move to a rhythm like ta-ta, pa-pa, pa-pa. And it, with contained within all of those notes is somehow different ideas which the audience can interpret for whether he was killed, whether he died, whether he uh, sort of disappeared. Um, and so I think opera is a perfect way to look at incomplete history and um, give a representation of it that is narrative and makes sense to a contemporary audience. Dang, that's a good answer. <laughs> Thanks. <Mark drop. laughs> yeah, um, 
that's like that's like that's a cool idea because the ambiguity of Akhenaten perhaps can only be explored today through art, since we can never speak with him. Uh, the modern audience can only connect with him through a musical or artistic interpretation. Well, one thing I realized when I was researching this and going to the British Museum and the Met Museum and talking to these Egyptologists and, and religion scholars and looking through all these artifacts is that what we know and the story we've constructed in terms of scholarship and history is really constructed by these fragments of art, fragments of things which are mm -hmm. in a museum. Similarly, what Philip Glass has done is made his own representation of these fragments and his own version of these little pieces, these little morsels, and it's our job as the performer to connect those dots and to weave a tale and tell a story which gives the audience an emotional connection to this really fascinating subject. Hmm. With building on from that, when... When you and your colleagues are staging the show and you're blocking it out or you're planning your, your positioning and your movement, how much or how does the material of your, your character, say like the vocal style and your costume and things, inform how you move on stage? Does, is Akhenaten, does he move much or is he very statuesque and still? How does he actually fill up the, the, the stage? Working with Phelan McDermott, our director, we developed a whole system of atmospheres and ways of being on stage um, that allow us to at sometimes be very slow, at sometimes be very fast, always to kind of radiate different emotions through our eyes, through our bodies. And um, so the answer is there's a multitude of Akhenatans that you can see on stage. And I think it's our job as artists to ask questions and not to answer them. So you might come to the opera and I will ask is Akhenaten good or bad? Is he a cult leader who got everyone to follow his vision? Or was he uh, truly a revolutionary with brilliant ideas trying to change society for the better? Those things are not exactly answered, but with our physicality, with the way we look at each other, with the way we communicate on stage between each other as cast members and also with the audience, you get some sense of that. And it's hard to say until you go into that movie theater or come into this theater and see it, what you'll think. That's great. I look forward to, to seeing it and to interpreting it for myself. I have my own ideas from history, but I'm looking forward to seeing it brought to life in what is, I know, a wonderful piece of music, but I've never seen it staged, so I'm excited. So, Anthony, that's all my questions for you. So, thank you very much, thank Anthony you. Ross I look Costanzo, Akhenaten. Thanks. I look forward to seeing your reign in glory on stage. Ankh, <laughs> <laughs> ankh. Okay, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. My second guest is Janae Bridges, who plays Nefertiti. Hi, Janae. I'm Dominic. Hi. So, Janae Bridges, Nefertiti. Yes. Is this your is this your first time performing Nefertiti, or were you also part of the previous runs? This is actually my second time. I performed it for the first time in 2016 um, with LA Opera, and Anthony. Mm -hmm. And Zach were also a part of that production. So this is my my return to the Queen. Exciting, exciting. <laughs> and in the in the time that elapsed, has your has your interpretation of her changed or has it evolved in any way? Yeah, that's a, that's actually a great question. Um, well, I will say that when I first looked at the score, it it freaked me out. I'd never sung Philip Glass before, but we had about a month or so of rehearsals with the score, and and, and it steadily became more comfortable vocally, emotionally, um, and I created my own character. And having three years away mm. from it, I would say absolutely yes, it has deepened. My voice has changed, first of all. So it's, okay. it's different in my voice. It feels more settled, actually. I feel like I have more control um, mm. with pacing, and because I, mm -hmm. I know the opera, I know how it goes, I know how to pace it better. <laughs> um, but mm -hmm. it, yeah, it sits in a better place somehow. And I'm not sure if it's because of my actual physical maturity of my vocal cords or if it's mm -hmm. because I, I now have a deeper understanding of who this character and woman was. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say that it is definitely deepened emotionally and spiritually for me. 
on a spiritual level. Perhaps you've perhaps you've just become accustomed to your throne. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that. Okay, so in the opera itself, not so much in history. Who is your Nefertiti and what kind of characteristics does she bring to the story that's being told on stage? Hmm. Another great question. Um, so I've thought about this because it, it's that's the beauty of opera. We can we can take a character and make it our own. And I thought, okay, I don't have an aria in this in this score, which is interesting. It's truly an ensemble piece. So for me, mm. going into this um, this opera and this character, I Queen Nefertiti, um, the wife of Akhenaten, and I feel like. With with that said, I am um, this figure that obviously everybody knows of, but I'm really kind of the support. <laughs> like, I, I am his right-hand person. Mm-hmm. This was a very radical thing for, for, for them to, to do, you know, um, monotheism. And I think that it couldn't have happened, actually, without... A partner of some sorts. So I feel like I, um, mm. I am in a way, just a part of the the glue that has um, carried this movement. Um, mm. Yeah. One of the more popular interpretations these days of the religious scope of these people is that Akhenaten, Nefertiti, and Aten sort of form a divine trinity with two on earth mm. and one in heaven. So that's actually a really good wow. interpretation of, that. I love that. of her role is that the whole edifice needs her. She can't, ex- she can't, he can't exist without her per se. Yeah. I never thought of that, that analogy, but it, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, Queen Nefertiti historically has been seen as this beautiful woman. Her name actually means beautiful, beautiful. Um, and so, growing up in my household, uh, she was definitely a figure that was represented. And, you know, the, it was kind of at a time when there was, wasn't a lot of uh, black representation on mm-hmm. on TV or social mm-hmm. media. Well, social media wasn't really a thing. But um, so, we have plenty of, of uh, statues in my home and onks and I kind of just thought that my parents were weird and my mom was like <laughs> I don't know some spiritual somebody but I hey, now if realize they, that if she they're was... weird I'm weird <laughs> cool weird is not bad by the way no. it's a good thing so I grew up with this image of Queen Nefertiti kind of being the ultimate um, um, source of womanly beauty mm-hmm. um and so I, I've, to be making my Met debut in this role is actually just like, I couldn't have imagined anything better. Um, mm, so yeah, I try to, I try to access my inner queen and I really mm-hmm. feel like this whole production, the costumes, um, this house, my colleagues really bring a sense of, of um, royalty to the room. And mm. it's really just easy to go there. Mm. Building on from that, so what does the what does the music itself tell you about her when you when you listen to it and then when you sort of sing it? What comes through from um, Philip Glass's notes about this character? Wow, um, good question. Well, there is a lot of repetition. Um, sure. My particular role that that it sits in very strong places of, of my voice, so I, I'll sing. A million times, um, a high, not a high E, but an E on the staff. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like one of the most powerful notes in my voice. So I, I feel like Philip Glass, he wrote that for a reason. Um, to show that she, she is a very powerful woman and being. Um, and then there, during our Act 2 duet, Anthony and I, um, we share a lot of the same notes. And there is this gorgeous legato line that I think kind of makes the whole piece come to a halt because there's nothing like it in in the opera and um it's a moment of for me it just feels like ecstasy (laughs) Mm. it's a moment of of beauty and passion and stillness 
that I think um, that I think was required for this whole movement, actually. Um, and mm. I and I also think that it's a moment that people walk away with um, realizing that we just need to be still a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> at some point during our day, during our life, just to reflect and and drink in the beauty of of love of now. Um, Maybe we all just need to go outside and sit in the sunlight. That too. Absolutely. I don't know if that answered your question. It did. Second part of the question, though, is uh, sort of what do you, what do you, what sort of sense do you get of her, of Nefertiti's particular motivations or Uh, passions from this? Hmm. Does she have any? I mean, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot, but I honestly feel like she is, I'm motivated to be stronger. Everything in this score musically for me, it's like there's nothing weak about it. Mm. <laughs> um, and so this this com- this role completely inspires me to kind of dig deeper into who I am and who I want to be and who I what I want to be remembered by. And I think mm-hmm. that from what I know of Queen Nefertiti, she's remembered for her her physical beauty, but her, her also her um, strength. Um, so I would hope that the audience would notice that as well and and hopefully come out, you know, inspired. <laughs> mm. is, that, is, that a, is that a particular challenge, trying to bring to life someone who is, in many respects, a genuine icon? You know, not, a, not iconic in the sort of modern colloquialism, but a genuine mm-hmm. artistic icon? Um, I, I would say no, actually. I mean, maybe yes and no, but for me, I honestly feel like I have Nefertiti in me. Like, I, I don't know. I I feel like I've come from her. So for me, it's really easy to delve into and I don't feel like I am, um, appropriating. Yes. I, I, I don't feel like any of us are doing that because it, it's rooted in, um, uh, such knowledge and, mm. and and research and nobody really knows I mean Egyptologists don't actually know the truth so Correct. in a lot of this so I think that uh, what we're bringing to it is is as close as you can get really to, to mm. the truth and who doesn't want to um, kind of see this come to life in in a way and and the arts is in opera specifically is such a beautiful form to do that nothing is nothing you don't come out with answers it's like you come out thinking hopefully and being inspired uh, and we're not telling you how to think clearly i'm not nefertiti but nefertiti didn't sing opera so i mean maybe she did maybe she did <laughs> that we know of so <laughs> so yeah i i i don't feel like it's a challenge. I feel like it's actually really rewarding, mm. um, and and a gift. That's good, and that's what you that's what you want essentially. So, building on from that, final question is: How does the sort of material of Nefertiti, the character, like her vocal style, her onstage movement and costume and things, how does all that inform your interpretation of her when you're out there on stage? Hmm. Well, Phelan McDermott has just, he's incredible. He's set such a tone um, for this whole process. But without spoiling too much, I mean, we are in this, often in um, a setting which we like to call molding. Um, And Mm -hmm. within the molding, you find moments that, of strength, you find moments that mm. are super uncomfortable um, and <laughs> exposed. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, they really come down to um, it, it, it informs. Again, I keep saying strength, but it's like you have to press through those uncomfortable moments and you have to continue to radiate and bring these characters alive. So the staging the the vocalism of the score i think it just really represents this world very well it 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 heightens it and i can't imagine actually doing it any other way um 
so yeah, for me, I completely just agree <laughs> with, <laughs> with with all of the artistic choices, um, and yeah, it helps me to definitely tap into that strength of Nefertiti and the beauty. I I feel very queenly, <laughs> whatever that is. I, it feels <laughs> good and right. So. No, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, those are all my questions for you. So, Janae Bridges, Nefertiti, a great royal wife of Akhenaten, mm. thank you very much for coming on to talk about your role, and I look forward to seeing you in the performance. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you for having me. The podcast will return in just a moment with part two of my interviews with the cast of the Met Opera's Akhenaten. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details my third guest is Disela Larosdotta, who plays Queen T, the mother of Akhenaten and the wife of Amunhotep III. Hi, Disela. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Are you excited for the for the performance? Are you ready? Are you fired up? I am. I am. I'm very excited, and uh, it's been a it's been a just a, an, a wonderful ride the the whole rehearsal period, and so yeah, we're ready for this. Is this your first time playing Queen T, or have you also been involved in earlier productions? Yes, this is my my first time playing her, and uh, Ooh, yeah. exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this in this early early stage of your interpretation, who is Queen T to you, and what kind of characteristics does she bring to the story? Well, I really I sense her as this. Um, well, because you were asking earlier about like what what um, if you had a persona thinking about some persona, but I'm actually thinking she's like this Wolverine. She takes mm. care of her pack. She's very strong and mm-hmm. she can be fierce, but mm-hmm. she really takes care of her, you know, the, her pack. And um, she really, she had the, her husband. I mean, he passed away. He passes away in the beginning of the opera. But mm-hmm. they share this strong connection, and she holds on to that connection throughout the opera. She sees him. She con- uh, how do you say condoles? Uh, seeks condolences with him. Seeks uh, um, so and and strength from him still mm-hmm. and. Yeah, so she's she's very she's very strong, and she w- wants to take care of her family first mm. and foremost. I like that. So musically, what kind of character is Queen T, and what can you what can you tell us about her? Musically, I would say the same thing. It, you can you can hear it in the music that she shows you that she can be the the gentlest of mom, uh, mm. like we see in the we we see it mostly in the third act. Um, scene that you know the farewell sort of goodbye Um, Mm. but in the second act temple scene she is throwing just knives and glass at you (laughs) I mean yeah so it's 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 uh it's really challenging vocally and um yeah, it, it shows you she has to be vulnerable and open and just let it all out. She never opens her mouth unless she's speaking with uh, Akhnaten. So okay. she's always she's always on his side. And uh, mm. yeah, that says says a whole lot about her, I think. Mm. Do you think her she's motivated to support him because he's her son or because she believes genuinely in what he's doing? I think it's because she's she's his mother. Mm. That's that's how I sense her. Again, this is uh, something perhaps the audience can think about. Mostly, maybe maybe because as 
as I am a mother, this is how I feel. And I feel like mm. the whole, I feel like the whole, uh, you know, because we, we know historically that Akhenaten was the first pharaoh to be, um, well, not photographed, but <laughs> drawn out with his, with his wife and with the children in his laps. And I mm. must ask as a mother where did he get that idea he didn't just wake up one day and go like i'm gonna be a great dad <laughs> you know <laughs> it must have come from something and so i like to believe that um queen tai and and amun hotep um they probably showed him that this is important and they had a very special connection and he wanted that for himself and for his family so that's that's my little story in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. If if your child decided to start a religion, how would you feel? <laughs> I will be a hundred percent behind his back. You know, if it's if it's, <laughs> I might not go ruining a temple with him, but you know, you never know. <laughs> There's always limits to love. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. um, building on that, so. How much for you, for your for Quinty and Amunhotep the Third's relationship? How much did you and you and Zachary uh, get to explore that musically together? Well, we we didn't. It's Zach is incredible, and he's just so he's he he's incredible. It's it's been so good to work with him, and we never had to really talk about it. We sort of had this. Um, communication without words through mm. rehearsals it's also through of course the insatiable incredible failing McDermott um, <laughs> so we had th we didn't have to really talk about it it's mm -hmm. sort of I feel like we have this um, we can talk through sort of inhaling together and exhaling and so this is how she uh, Queen Tai gets advice and strength just by breathing with her husband and um mm -hmm. so yeah it's 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 been it's been a journey without words really it's just been felt somehow through mm -hmm. music and through what we're doing mm -hmm. so going back to queen t is how does the sort of material of the character on stage like her her delivery and her movements and the costumes she wears, how much of those things inform your interpretation of this particular person? Um, her costume is, um, if we start there, it's, it's quite regal. It's not the typical, it's, it's actually, um, I think Kevin sought out to um, the English queen for for um, ideas for the costume okay. so it's not your typical sort of uh, Egyptian although it has the gold and all that fabulous mm -hmm. fabulousness and I believe that um, the, the tomb of Queen Tai it did carry a red wig in it so she that actually is a is a truth but that's why that's where the red hair came from in this um, production mm -hmm. um, she's very regal she's very strong uh, she has to keep up uh, appearances of course um, and um, the movement is as as uh, Anthony and, and Janai already said it's 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 we're using all these this molding um which i which, which we don't really want to give away too much but mm. um it it's it really has a lot of space for interpretation of emotions and for the audience to fill in what we might be interpreting which i think <laughs> is very interesting um and and it makes it more interesting for the audience, I believe, mm. to to have an idea, to create their own idea, and to discuss it afterwards. Um, so yeah, it's we 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 do sense her, Queen Tai, as this very statuesque sort of um, interpretation of a queen. Mm. You know, you have to you have to be there. You have to stand up straight, and you. Uh, 
she's sort of stepping aside already as her husband is passed and her son is now taking the throne. So now she's she's sort of secondary in a way and yet so important and always standing by her son's side. Mm. So that's that's really the whole thing, um, the whole time. And and during the temple, she's the one that is by Akhenaten's side uh, in the in the battle. So she gives nothing back, even even when it is dangerous. Mm. And then you will see in the in the third act again the very soft, motherly side of her. Mm. Exciting. So those are all my questions for you. So thank you very much for, for joining me. Thank you. Uh, Laura's daughter is Queen T, and I'm very excited to see your performance when it's broadcast live, and I can catch a glimpse. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. My final guest is Zachary James, who has a dual role as Amunhotep III and the scribal narrator who contextualizes important events and conveys significant texts drawn from the corpus of ancient Egyptian literature. Zachary, thank you for thank you very much for joining me, and especially thank you for reaching out to organize this conversation. Well, thanks for having us. It's really fun to uh, chat. So, Zach, this is this is not your first time doing this opera, is it? How many? What what other productions have you done of Akhenaten before? This is my fourth time doing it. Um, it's been the same production each time. So we've done it twice in London now and once in Los Angeles and now in New York. Mm, exciting. So you're very, you're very familiar with your, with your characters and you've, you've learned as much as you can about them musically? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a, a very unique situation because it is an opera and I'm an opera singer, but it is a completely spoken role. Um, and it's uh, it needs to be timed out with the music. Um, there's huge musical cues that finish each um, soliloquy. Uh, so you kind of have to be a musician in it, but it's a very different uh, thing than doing a Mozart opera or something where everything is scored out completely. Um, so the bulk of the um, narrative storytelling is in my hands. It's kind of a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and... For on that, how much has your um, interpretation or your approach to these characters evolved over the uh, now four productions you've you've worked on? Uh, it's evolved quite a bit. Um, so, kind of interesting. The first time I did this, uh, the English National Opera premiere in 2016, they were actually looking for a celebrity actor to do the role, and. Um, like uh, they had asked John Malkovich and, um, you know, other really <laughs> interesting people and no one was available. So this came to me very last minute. Um, so I was given one week to learn about 1600 words of text. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so it was kind of a panic. Um, so I was grateful to have the opportunity to do it again six months later in L.A. and have a little more ease in the process. Um, and then three years passed. And in that time, there was this luxurious, you know, amount of time for research and to really think about where this this text came from, what it means, and um, a big part of it because it, it kind of sounds like archaic text when you first look at it. And similar to your first time experiencing Shakespeare, you might think, what are all these words? Um, but there's this great depth and meaning in all, all of these moments. Um, and I really have to peel back the layers and get down to the heart of what's being said. Um, so now doing this for the fourth time, um, it feels really luxurious. Like it's, I think it now becomes the show I've done the most in my life. Um, so I feel like I really do know what is going on, but there's a lot to discover. And with each production integrating new artists into it, um, we have these chances to freshen up the experience and, uh, take in what the new artists are giving. And that changes all of us who have done it previously. Mm. And would I be correct in guessing that each of these productions has been with a different, uh, production lead? It's time you got Philippe McDermott. Has that been, yes. has he been your, your rock he, the whole time? He has. Yeah. Phelan, um, has, it's his production. He, uh, was approached by Philip Glass to do it. Um, 
Philip had originally asked him to direct Einstein on the beach, and uh, Phelan was a bit hesitant because there's this um, very famous Robert Wilson production, and um, it just didn't feel like the right time to step away from that moment. Um, but Philip came back and suggested that he direct Akhenaten and uh, Satyagraha, also another one of his operas about Gandhi. Um, so Phelan mm. has been with us for all three years now. Okay, so he's so he's very much your your sort of guru from the composer himself. Yes, yes, and I actually call him my guru in real life. It makes him blush, <laughs> but truly, <laughs> um, he's a a wonderful leader. And uh, this is our eighth uh, production together. So we've been working together for ten years, and um, that's kind of how this came to me. Was he? called last minute and said hey we're doing this crazy show about Akhenaten is there any way you can come to London next week and <laughs> so <laughs> wow um actually just sort of curious on from that was has Philip Glass himself been at all involved in these productions or is he a hands-off kind of person he likes to come in kind of later in the process and see what um, what we've done with it. I've done another Philip Glass opera called mm. The Perfect American, which is about Walt Disney. Philip kind of likes to look at um, complicated you know, leaders and figures in history and explore sure. them. Um, so that was a world premiere, and Philip was very hands-on in the room because um, it had never been sung before. But this, you know, they know it's a great work. It's been done, you know, in the 80s. And so he's let us explore it, and then he came in uh, at the last minute and uh, came to opening night in London, and he's been, he came to opening night in L.A. as well. And I'm sure he'll be here mm. at the Met with us for opening. Hmm. That's good. That's that's exciting. Yeah. Um. <coughs> So, so Amun Hotep the Third only appears in the story very briefly at the beginning, and then sporadically on stage, as I understand it. Well, I'm I'm on stage. Uh, the show's three hours, and I'm on stage for two hours and forty five minutes. So I'm I'm pretty much there <laughs> the whole time. Mm. Um, but it's an interesting concept that Phelan McDermott, our director, set up that um, I start the show and remain on stage the entire show. Um, serving as both a narrator to the audience and delivering these soliloquies and speeches um, that tie the story together, but also um, rooted in these relationships with everyone on stage. So my son, Akhenaten, my wife, you know, mm. Queen Tai, and, uh, and the six daughters of Akhenaten and Nefertiti, you know, those would be my granddaughters. So it's quite powerful because we have these relationships and that ties everything together. Mm. So just to clarify, you, you also play the scribal role so yes do you do you switch or is it is that a separate component it's one gesture so amenhotep the third is the scribe is the narrator so are you quickly taking off crowns and like putting on other hats and <laughs> no no we just we just stay in the one um the one character sure. and uh sure. in an interesting way amenhotep the third is the storyteller mm. he i walk out to the audience and the very first thing that happens is i give this wonderful speech open are the double doors of the horizon unlocked are its bolts you know clouds darken the sky the stars rain down mm. and in this i'm inviting the audience into the story and uh the subtext of it is i have this wonderful story to tell you you know come with me and uh, okay. um, i would say every every five or ten minutes or so i'm returning with another speech um uh, some really remarkable text um for example um before nefertiti and akhenaten's great love duet i um, speak these words, uh, love poem, I believe that was found in a tomb. I breathe the sweet breath which comes forth from thy mouth. I behold thy beauty every day. Mm. Um, and it goes on. But these, these gorgeous words that really tie the story together, um, because it, which it's very typical of Philip Glass, there's not a lot of words. Mm. Um, the singers are mostly singing on vowels. They sing ah, ah, ah. Um, so it's the words that uh, were given to Amenhotep III that tie the story together. Hmm. So building on from that, what does what does Philip Glass's music itself tell you about your character of Amenhotep III? What is his? Do you get a sense of his motivations or his beliefs, or is he rather distant? I might imagine. I think he's actually very involved, and the music uh, paints the emotional landscape of the character. Um, it's it's quite fascinating to have the show open with Amenhotep III's funeral and then to have me remain on stage and watch Akhenaten 
tear down everything I built, you know, because, <laughs> of course, Amenhotep III, his reign was so powerful and made Egypt this world power, and uh, things were going very well. And then to stay, uh, you know, present and watch Akhenaten just tear down everything um, is kind of extremely heartbreaking. And then, I don't want to give too much away, but um, towards the end of the show, um, the way Akhenaten's death is represented, the end of his reign, he uh, you know, dies in my arms, kind of like the Pieta. And mm-hmm. uh, it's this gorgeous moment, but uh, a very um, torn moment because there's this great love for my son, but also mm-hmm. he destroyed everything I built. <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of like family, very complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. So this this is a slightly complicated question for you since you're on stage the entire time, but how do your sort of onstage movements and um, blocking and things, how do they inform your interpretation of the character and what are they conveying to the audience? Yeah, um, I kind of think of it like, like dance. Um, it's, it's a very slow motion dance and... Um, within that there is room for very large gestures which is really Mm -hmm. elegant so if we're expressing anguish i might have my arms raised all the way to the sky in a very dramatic gesture Um, but the timing of that um, within this world we've set up it's allowed to take forever and so um, doing these extraordinarily large emotional gestures but over um, maybe one gesture takes five minutes to fully complete that's how slow we're going Um, and so within that there's a long emotional journey and um, and many layers really Um, one thing we were talking about when Akhenaten dies in my arms um, Phelan our director was saying you know it can't just be sad there has to be joy in it as well um, because mm. that is life and there's many emotions in every moment and so he's dead in my arms but I'm saying you know the son of him who knew thee not has set which is a good thing basically because we can mm. return to order we hope <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose when he for Amunhotep the third when Akhenaten dies he's really coming to join him in the in the afterlife so it's it's a loss of a loss of legacy but at the very least he he gets that that relationship returns to him yeah and one of the most Mm. um complex heartbreaking moments of the entire opera is at the very end we flash forward to the present and see that there's nothing left of you know any any of this um and that is uh, i'm I think it's really smart that Philip Glass wrote it that way, just to say, uh, you know, how saturated and intense this moment was, and now it's just rubble in the desert. Mm. <laughs> and yet, ironically, by the mere fact that the opera exists, Akhenaten is more famous than any of these other people, yes, including Amunhotep III. Exactly, and we resurrect the beautiful the irony. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite mm. touching. So, so going back to back to the idea of perhaps Amunhotep III or and his relationship with his son on in the opera do you you interact with Queen T plenty but do you interact with Akhenaten at all yes uh, apart from that last scene yes quite a lot actually we make uh, long extended passages of eye contact and kind of exchange energy in a beautiful way um, following my funeral mm. is Akhenaten's coronation and I'm very present in that scene and before he ascends the staircase to the window of appearances we um, have a beautiful exchange where I'm kind of passing the throne to him and uh it's very mm. touching, kind of a very tender father-son relationship um, mm. that I think is interesting to explore and against uh, stereotypes. Do you think the people coming out of this opera will gain a new appreciation for the difficulties of Akhenaten's reign, specifically what the legacy he inherited? Or is it very much more of a, a sort of personal between two people kind of relationship? Uh, I think Akhenaten's a very sympathetic character in in the way it's been written. So I think you really, you kind of understand him and he was just doing what he thought was best. And mm. he had this great idea and he thought it was best, but he just was not a good leader. Um, and that's one moment we see in Act 3 of the um, 
opera, there's the Tell All Amarna letters, um, where we have these five letters that I recite. And it's just the people are saying, we have been writing to you for 17 years, and you have never replied <laughs> meeting any of our needs. We mm. are dying out here. And that's where you really see the turmoil of Akhenaten's kingdom, and that things are just not going well. Because we see this beautiful family life with Akhenaten and Nefertiti and the six daughters and Queen T. But outside of, of that, things are going disastrously. And um, so that's that's kind of the turmoil of the opera and um, what happens right before his mm. demise. That's interesting because the opera itself was obviously um, released in the early 1980s and very much at a time when Akhenaten's legacy was being re-examined in those respects. So that's a really... Bringing up the Amarna letters is particularly quite interesting in that context. Right. So so that brings me to the end of the, the questions I wrote, and it looks like we are right on the cusp of our time. So Zachary James, Amunhotep III, and scribal presence on stage in Akhenaten, thank you very much for, for joining me and speaking about your character. Thank you for having us. Are you excited for the opening of the show? Are you ready, or is this old news to you by now? Oh, we're ready. The Metropolitan Opera is a dream, and uh, everyone in this room, in this interview, this is where we've wanted to be our whole lives. So it's it's quite a beautiful moment to share. That brings us to the end of my interview with the cast of Akhenaten, a Met Opera production, opening on November 8th. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion, and if you're in New York, consider going to see the opera, which promises to be a spectacular production, well worth seeing live. If you can't make it there, look up at your local cinema to see if there'll be a Met Opera recording playing in the forthcoming months. That's all from me. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon for the next episode of the History of Egypt podcast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.